And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic Hello and welcome to From the Rookery End, a podcast about Watford FC brought to you by The Athletic. Uh, it's Friday night. We love a Friday night. We love a Friday night where Watford win. And they just about did. Uh, 2-1 at home against Derby County. Or should I say, because you have to say his name every time you now mention the team, it's Wayne Rooney's Derby County, as Sky kept going on about. Um, I'll be watching at home. Jason's with me. You watching at home, Jason? I was watching at home indeed. And Michael, where were you watching? I'm at Vicarage Road and I'm actually as close to being from the rookery end as is possible. I'm in the last row uh, of the Sir Elton John stand over on the left-hand side towards the rookery, shielding from what has been a very blustery wind. Um, So yeah, very nearly from the rookery end. I've got a question. Is it wind or have you borrowed um, Adam's sound effects machine from Tuesday night? (laughs) (laughs) Well, let the listeners decide. Well, the authenticity is quite hard to tell sometimes. So, Mark, you, you, you at the game. We said, and you showed us last, and heard, showed us orally last week. Yeah, it's a different experience for you. What was it like, though, for you throughout that game, especially compared to the last last two? It was another win, and we had three in the trot. How were you feeling in, in that game? At the end, exceptionally nervous. It was. Let's uh, start at the beginning. How are you at the beginning? <laughs> First half. But yeah, well, it was it was an interesting game, and and very quickly Watford found themselves sort of. Back to the back to winning ways. It felt like you know two goals in very very quick succession, and it, and it felt a little bit like you know normal service resumed. You know the Watford had a bit of a swagger, a bit of a saunter about them. Derby looked a bit shell shocked, and yeah, it felt very very positive. It felt like a continuation of a theme for a little bit there, which was uh, which I have to say was uh, was rather enjoyable. As I alluded to there, that didn't last didn't last long, and it it was a it was a good win. But it was, and there was, I think, all the positive things that we've seen um, in the last week were, were there again. But I think there's still, uh, the, the overarching sort of feeling is there's still work to do, and this is still very much a work in progress. But hugely positive, and the fact that they're able to take the game away from Derby in those couple of minutes just shows what this Watford side can do. So, absolutely more positives than negatives for me. Yeah, I, I mean, I do look at this and say, hey, amazing, nine points seven days uh, and then also look at the same way and say well maybe that's fact three games in a week and not a lot of change might be those reasons why we I know we weren't quite as rampant as we were against um, Bristol City but you know again Bristol City were a particularly bad team and, and Derby weren't as, as bad as them uh, Jason you know the, the, the tactics you know we, we saw again uh, the, the, the thing that we're all coming to love as what for fans uh, the 4-3-3 the front six are exactly the same and only the one change in, in the defence did you see any development on that because you know in the past last podcast you, you talked about how the midfield three seemed to be a bit more organized um a bit more defined uh, in how they played what did you notice t- today in terms of from that bristol city to that preston and now against derby uh, the tactics that that munoz is uh, is putting out there i'm not sure in terms of 
changes that perhaps we went into the game with, but I think it, Derby proved a different challenge today. Mm. They they pretty much matched us up. They played a 4-3-3, but it looked like they had a sort of a couple of men sitting deeper, so it almost matched, sort of, almost sort of man-marking our, our midfielders. They were happy to let our centre-backs have the ball as well. Certainly at nil-nil, they, they didn't seem to want to press, so it was very congested. So it meant we had to try and find gaps that we had to find the space we had to try and overload in certain positions and i thought we did that pretty well I, I particularly the the way the fullbacks attacked tonight i thought worked really well um obviously we we seem to focus our attack down the right hand side with uh ishmael Asar and kiko Firmenia. i thought kiko did a really good job of sort of underlapping if that makes sense so Saar was sort of sticking pretty wide and Firmenia would sort of let player one, two um, and sort of drive inside and try and find space where Saar was driving men out wide. Um, slightly different, I think, on the left. Ken seemed to drift inside a bit more, leaving space for Messina to go on the outside and provide an overlap. So we would work in that quite well. And then also, I thought the two advanced midfielders, they played a good game because one they had to try and find space because they had these sort of two central midfielders sitting on them. What they did to support the guys out wide is that they were actually happy to play quite wide. At times, they were the widest man. So if, if Ken or at times if Ishmael was sort of tucking in, they were looking to go wide and provide width, um, which, yeah, twofold gives us the overload, but then also gets them away or drags the central midfield out of position to try and create space for, for someone else to move into. And again, it was... Certainly the first goal came from Ishmael Asar getting behind, thanks to a good ball from Kiko, where he has occupied that sort of that sort of inside back role, for want of a better description, to then sort of play the ball through. The Kiko and Saar show was back in sort of full effect for, for Tuss, certainly in the first half there, and they were sort of finding each other at will, and they were starting to find again... Not quite telepathic, but that just understanding where they're going to be, knowing that either of them have got the pace to run onto a pass from, from one or the other. And what I've noticed, chaps, I Jace, I don't know if you think that this might be a tactic, but when we're getting the ball out wide, I think it's something that we've said we've struggled with with uh, throughout the season is not really knowing what to do with it what how, what how to best make use of the ball in the final third it looks like we're drilling these balls in certainly from Ismail Asar I noticed it in midweek and it happened again today he's really sort of hitting the hitting those balls in hard instead of trying to pick a man he's sort of just put getting it in there and asking questions of the of the defenders and and hoping something happens you, is that something you picked up on as well Jace? Yeah, I think so. And I think that the fact that we're getting bodies in the box as well probably adds to that. If you've got a packed box, then even if you don't get the touch, what might happen um, is that the ball will ping off a defender and go into the back of the net. Hey, we might see that happen at Vicarage Road <laughs> one sometime. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely more to, for him to hit in the box. He isn't, you know, he's not trying to pick one person out because that's all he could do. You know, there, there, there are definitely uh, many men running in there and on across across the whole pitch. It's amazing. I don't think it's, they're not just random ones either as well. So going back to that goal and a couple of the goals, I think, against Bristol City, that we do seem to have men, so we've got guys running into the box or leading the line but they always see there does seem to be someone hanging back as well maybe around the penalty spot and they when Saar gets to the byline he's not sort of hitting it into a, a corridor of uncertainty so to speak he is sort of pulling it back to that area to, to try and find either a midfielder or, or 
someone sort of yeah running making a late run into the box to to finish it off yeah i wasn't being negative i wasn't suggesting they was just smashing it and hoping for the best but it did <laughs> it does feel like it, it's a very it just seems to have happened and i think as john as you rightly say i think it's it's part of this more um fluid approach from watford and the fact that there are going to be players arriving on the edge of the box all being in the area whereas before it was it was pretty sparsely populated wasn't it <laughs> for, for, for most of the 90 minutes so yeah it's i think it's just a, a sort of um, a little thing in the periphery that's a little offshoot of, of the way Watford are playing just something I've noticed and just just generally asking more questions of the opposition and, and I think you know we did, the, the goal went in and then two minutes later Watford were 2-0 up with a, a lovely goal from Will Hughes when it fell he, he, I could see him sort of manoeuvring his body so he'd get it on his left foot um, we sort of cut right behind it in line with it in here in the Sir Elton John stand and you kind of knew it was going to be a goal before it it went in and at that stage Derby went from it was very very slow start you know lots of like as Jason said there wasn't much much pressure from either side pretty congested in midfield so a lot of tapping it around um, but Watford went from naught to a hundred and and Derby looked absolutely shell shocked and it had a touch of the Bristol cities around it for for a minute there where they were sort of looking around uh, they didn't really know what was happening they'd gone from being relatively comfortable you know I think we've mentioned Ishmael Asar and Kiko were making inroads on on the right I thought Sema struggled to get into the game on the left but they looked absolutely shell shocked they didn't know quite what happened and I felt at that stage it's still very very early in the game and perhaps getting greedy after you know the week we've had. John, you said it was seven days. That's that's it's six days, isn't it? Because it was Saturday last week that we won. So three, three games in three wins in six days is pretty good. And I felt almost chastised myself mentally for being greedy and saying, right, we need another one here. But it did feel like we had an opportunity. Derby were on the ropes, um, and I was hoping that we could um, we could deliver the knockout blow early in the first half. And it didn't quite come to pass and I actually think Watford were lucky to go in level if I'm honest I think the goal that was disallowed I haven't seen the replay I think the goal that was disallowed was very very soft wherever the foul was there um, I think you know we say or they always get given but they shouldn't I don't think I didn't really see a clear foul and then right on the um, stroke of half time I think it was Waghorn was in uh, a ball over the top we saw that Watford um, succeed with that a couple of times in the second half but he was in and he lifted his opportunity over the over the bar and it could have very easily been been 2-0 there was a, a succession of uh, vicious in-swinging corners as well from over here on the right and um, which were to give us a bit of a foreshadowing of what was going to happen later on in the game and it had a little bit of feeling of that Everton horrible horrible Everton game last season in the in the Premier League where Watford were 2-0 up and seemingly coasting and then went in at half-time level on the back of some expertly delivered um, set pieces. So uh, having gone from 0 to 100 in the, in the middle of the half, I think then they sort of lost their way a little bit and uh, might be a bit over-critical, but genuinely think it could have been, it could have been 2-2 at half-time. Yeah, you wanted them to sort of, um, you know, have a, have a go just to really kill the game off. And it didn't come. And again, I, I have this nagging feeling of, yes, we say, as you correct me, Michael, um, three games in six days and we've got another one and another two in the next week. Um, and I suppose that's the thing where you wonder where the, the, the squad management is coming into to all this. Um, where we haven't we made one change in the last two games. They've both been central defence. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see w- w- where he goes next. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. From the Rookery End, a podcast about life following Watford FC. But let's look at these, these, these players. There's 14 that made it onto the pitch, a bit fewer, a fewer this week uh, than there have been in the past. You know, I'd, I'd love a Venn diagram. I'd love to sort of categorise things. We, we get, I want you to, to picture uh, a Venn diagram, two circles, lapped over slightly. Uh, one circle uh, is going to be Friday Night Lights. Oh, yeah, the Friday Night Lights, which we all miss and we want to go and see. It's great. It's brilliant. That's our Friday Night uh, Lights category. On the other side... It's, it's Friday night cripes and uh, people who didn't have a good Friday night. And in the middle, of course, Friday night's all right. You know, it, it was all right. Where, where are we going to put some of these players? I think it's, it's, it's an easy one, this. We've been singing his praise for, well, we've been hoping for him. Uh, we've been annoyed at, 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 at how he's been used. And for the last three games, he's been doing his, his thing. Friday night lights, it's easy. Will Hughes, Mike, he can't go wrong, can he, at the moment? No, looking really good, looking really strong, going from strength to strength, and yeah, one you know one of if not the most important player on the on the pitch for Watford. He, he makes things happen. He sort of he's the sort of I don't know how to describe it. He's the fulcrum is the wrong word, but everything hinges on on Will Hughes and, and what he's able to do. He sort of marshals it in front of the in front of the back, and then he gets us ticking up top as well. It's that that transition that we struggled to have at all this season, um, and with Will Hughes in the centre there it seems to happen I think he was hampered ever so slightly by what I thought was an incredibly harsh yellow card after I think it was about 20-25 minutes was it very very early uh, and I thought the ref made a potential rod for his back there in booking Will Hughes and whether that tempered him slightly I'm, I'm not sure uh, but I think he was withdrawn later on to protect him you know as we know he's He's had a long journey back from a variety of um, injuries and issues, so I think getting him off and, and getting some rest uh, ahead of the next big game is vital because, as you rightly say, John, yeah, he's first in there as uh, one of our Friday night lights. Kiko and Saar, we already mentioned Jason, the two of them down the wing, causing trouble, being our main main threat. There's no way you could take either one of those down, could you? No, I don't think so. I think we, we saw their... Let's, let's not beat about the bush. We saw their Premier League quality again today. You know what I say, John? At, at this level, they're either quick or they're talented. These guys have got both. Um, and the, the goal just summed it up. It was a, a spot-on pass from, from Kiko through for Ishmaela for that first goal. And just the, the pace from Ishmaela was, it was unbelievable. There's no way he was favourite to get that. But he, he got there got there quick enough to keep the ball in and then get the uh, the ball pulled back we know as well their defensive qualities certainly at this level are absolutely fine Saar in particular doesn't look like the frustrated figure that he did earlier in the season all of a sudden he's he's playing occasionally with a smile on his face mm-hmm. <laughs> it's rare but every so often but then we are seeing putting in a defensive shift when he needs to as well with that and that's important in his 4-3-3 formation um, so yeah absolutely no doubt um, with these two, that, that they are once again Friday lights. Yeah, and then the one I, I, I was thinking about, my again, not 100% sure, Pedro. 
I mean, he's in that, that position on his own, up front, still young, as we keep saying. What do you think? Can we, can we put him in the Friday Night Lights? think tonight was the night? I think so. I think he deserves it just from his sheer work rate. You know, he is he's playing effectively centre-forward, isn't he? And he's said it before, you know, relatively small, diminutive, diminutive figure. But by crikey, he's tough. and He's quick-fitted, quick, quick-footed. He's skillful strong, finds himself, finds works little pockets of space for himself, not afraid to take a shot, not, not, not afraid to pick a pass when, when that's appropriate. He's hugely, hugely important for, for Watford, and I think he was, he was unlucky. He, was, he got the ball uh, in the penalty area and set himself for a right-foot curl, and I thought, this is it, this is his moment, it's going to crown his, his performances. Over the last week, really, where he's, he's ploughed a, a, a furrow and, and worked really hard without, without much reward... Um, obviously got on the on the score sheet tonight but I thought he was going to crown it with a nice uh, curler into the top right hand corner even into the top right hand corner of the rookery unfortunately but I, th- I think the work that that lad puts in for me I think absolutely he has to be Friday Night Lights he is you know we've mentioned those guys Will Hughes Ismail Asar Kiko João Pedro going to be hugely important for us in the running as we try and ask more questions of these championship defenders and and he does that for every time he's on the pitch I think he's absolutely brilliant and there's, there's no question in my mind that he's uh, he's among our Friday night lights tonight okay let, let's see who else can join them then will anyone be a cripes well, let, let's see if we think anyone deems to be maybe a, had a Friday night cripes not, not saying they're terrible but maybe tonight wasn't their night at the back Jason uh, in the centre Trusicon Cathcart yeah Cathcart did did what we, we we've you know known him to do not much not much problem just an all right night yeah i think obviously towards the end it was a bit more like panic at the friday night disco wasn't it um, <laughs> it was, i don't know about you guys but i was certainly panicking at the end there there were a, a, a couple of moments that you just just think put your foot through it man what's <laughs> cathcart's little um skied effort yeah for uh, another in, corner in injury no. time for another corner where we hadn't looked comfortable all evening and it and it probably has to be said we struggled to dominate really defensively those corners part of that is that down to the center backs is it down to the others whose responsibility is it to attack the ball and get it clear there's part of me thinking if Sierra Alton was on the pitch would we have struggled as much with the corners knowing uh, how dominant he is airily brilliant deliveries though jace it has to be said I they, mean, were, they were they were brilliant, burn, yeah. i think getting wrapping his foot right around it starting them um starting them on the sort of six well in three yards out and then they were they were they were curling in wickedly under right underneath the crossbar so asking some pretty serious questions every time Every time they came in, in fairness, I thought the delivery from from their corners was was terrific throughout. And you know, you do having played in inverted commas on the on this very pitch in goal and sort of with with pros that have you haven't played for 10, 15 years, and knowing how quickly and the ball comes in and with with. With the, the way with you've got big six footers attacking you as well, it is very very difficult to deal with a with a good ball in like that. So I have sympathy for them, but yeah, interested to interesting to hear you sort of sound not entirely convinced with the way they dealt with them, despite them being so such such good set pieces. They still need to be dealt with, and, and good players will will deal with them. I think, it, but yeah, you're right. The, the quality of the balls in were fantastic, and shows what you can do with excellent balls in front set pieces. Um, and I thought early on, I sort of started at the end, going back to the beginning. I mentioned about the centre backs not being put under much pressure at nil nil meant 
it was sort of the, the, the distribution from these guys had to be good. They had to try and find a man. It wasn't always made easy for them because their usual outs were being quite closely marked. So Hughes was, was covered. The fullbacks were covered. Just sort of made their job a little bit more difficult to try and start a, a Watford attack. Didn't always sort of manage with, with great success. Not disastrously so. I don't think we can sort of put them on a, a pedestal and I don't think we put them in the cripes. Um, but they they did have me worried every now and again. We have to be fair and say, other than that, other than their own goal, it it could have been another clean sheet. Until Patrick Roberts went off, I didn't think Derby looked threatening at all because whenever they the ball seemed to end up with him, and then he'd he'd sort of make a bad pass or an error of judgment, and that's and they sort of things started to break down. It was only when they really started to press in the second half and then they took Patrick Roberts off and then they really started to look threatening. That's when that's when they Derby started causing us trouble. I think Craig Cathcart and Trusty Kong are comfortably in the Friday night's all right category, um, for the reasons Jason described. The one thing I would suggest is that perhaps Trusty Kong's delivery I think he really struggles to get the ball moving out there. His passing I just think he he struggles with it. And I wonder whether that was impacted by the lack of Sierra Alta, you know, that dominating, domineering uh, centre-back partner who you have every confidence in to, you know, he clears everything up, doesn't he? Craig Cathcart described him a bit unkindly earlier as, as meat and potatoes, but he's very, he's just Craig Cathcart, isn't he? If you say Craig Cathcart, you know exactly what you're going to get. A solid block tackle, a six-foot pass to uh, someone in space, or he's just going to put it out uh, cool and calmly for, a, for an opposition throw. And that's what Craig Cathcart's going to do. And that's absolutely fine. But I think Sierra Altos has more to his game than that. And whether that, not exposed uh, Truce Kong, but just asked more questions of him. And I think in terms of his distribution, I think there are question marks over that, definitely. Both of them comfortably in the, um, uh, in the Friday night's all right category. Yeah, interesting, because I, I saw some people say after the Preston game, did, was Sierra Alta not quite as 100% because he wasn't with a Trusticon? Yeah. And I think maybe that's the thing, you know, that, that partnerships and those, you know, the fact that it is a partnership can, can add much more uh, to a centre-back pairing, not just the fact that they're two good footballers. Jason, Messina, he's, he's got to be all right. And, and I suppose Barkman in some ways, he, uh, he, he almost made himself a, a, a Friday Night Lights and into the top category uh, for a very quick uh, save on, on a corner that was, was heading into the, the top left corner. Yeah, he did well there. I did wonder, so as as we saw these set pieces coming in from uh, from Derby. I know they on the telly they're talking about Shea Given works with with their set pieces because he knows what the goalies don't like. Um, and I did wonder if they tried a few of these whippy ones because we didn't seem to be putting anyone on the uh, on the near post. Um, so he did very well to get across and keep that one out. And we could see from his face, from the uh, the, the wow that he mouthed. Yeah. Uh, wow. He sat there as the ball was cleared. That um, it was a close one, and that was a good save. Probably got away with one with the uh, goal that was disallowed in the first yeah. half, where he sort of ran into Andre Wisdom's ass and got the free kick for it. <laughs> there was a sort of precursor to that when a, uh, one of those great balls came in, and he did get a punch on it, but it it spun off the top of his knuckles and then over the uh, over the crossbar for a uh, for a corner, and that was a little bit you thought. Mm. Okay, because I was talking to Adam before the game, and you know he's got that terrific um, 
terrific record of six clean sheets in, in nine games now. But how much has really been asked of him? He hasn't had to make any sort of really amazing saves, hasn't he? But he's looked competent and he's looked solid. And he's looked that if any questions are asked of him, he's going to deal with him. And that was the first time that I think tonight he had a a sort of a bit more of a hairy evening, didn't he? There was more questions asked asked of him more frequently with a with a back two who hadn't played together uh, very recently in in front of him, and I think that that was a little precursor to it being a, a slightly not wobbly but sort of nervy night. Perhaps it was um, yeah, it, it was a tough night for him, but I think in the main he he dealt with everything pretty pretty comfortably, didn't he? Jace, the the, the, the middle two. You know, we 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 seen Will's Will's praise, but in theory they've got better. Maybe it's better because you know they're playing better positions, um, and and Will's doing that 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 work at, at the, the the back of the three. Chalabar was getting uh, big props uh, from the Sky Sports coverage. Uh, cleverly was working his uh, his little socks off as he, well, he he always has done, but he certainly seems to have done since he's been given that captain's armband. Nothing shone. I don't think for me uh, from from them to make them Friday night light. So they they've got to be Friday night all right. Yeah, I think so. I think I mentioned earlier about the fact that the the midfield was quite congested, so hard for them to to shine in a congested midfield. But what they did do well, as I said, they they were looking for space out wide, supporting the wide men. I thought again, it's 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 the way we set up just just suits them both. Having that extra protection in Hughes behind them, it means cleverly can run about like the engineers all over the pitch. Chalabur isn't trying to spray passes around. He's got men around him that he can play simple passes to, which suits him better just to sort of turn and tick things over, play a pass, try and find some more space, just progress up the pitch and, and get into the box and support when those balls come in. So, yeah, sort of decent from those guys again tonight. I thought Chalabar was really competent tonight. I think he looked organised, he looked on it, he looked focused, which is sometimes a criticism I have. I think he drifts in and out of games and can find himself having to make late challenges or whatever. He finds himself in a pickle, and I thought tonight he looked much more consummate. I thought he did he did well tonight. It was one of my one of my one of the better performances of the season from Chalabar. I thought tonight. I thought he was really good. Yeah, he's definitely been growing a lot. I think to be more consistent. Yeah, that's what we need consist- for me. That consistent three that he's been playing with, or the, the two he's been playing with. Um, Mike, we haven't got anybody in the, the Friday night cripes. I know we won. <laughs> I know we really shouldn't have anybody there. But Ken Semmer did an absolutely atrocious move on the left-hand side in the first half. And I think, you know, it was... I don't know what he was doing, but he was trying to do some step-over thing, and it didn't work. If I could find anybody for that reason, maybe we could put him there. And he was a bit quiet as well. Yeah, I think definitely that moment was a Friday night cripes, a Friday night yikes, whichever one you want to go with. And I think Ken's right foot deserves to go <laughs> Friday, <laughs> Friday night yikes because, I mean, let's be honest, he hasn't got one, has he? He has to, he has to run round it to, to get onto his, his left foot. So that's always a cause of uh, a vague amusement for me. So, um, yeah, that moment over on the far side in front of, with Graham Taylor watching on there, that, that, that brilliant banner there, he, uh, yeah, he made a bit of a mess of things, didn't he? Um, so that was not his proudest moment. I think overall, you know, as, as we touched on earlier, he didn't quite get in the game as, we, as we've seen him. We've seen, grown so accustomed, certainly here in front of the Sir Elton John stand, him, him beating his man and, and getting to the byline and getting a, getting a decent ball in. He, you know, for most of the season, he's been he was the only one really doing that. But I don't think he quite hit the heights tonight. Um, that moment, Friday night, yikes, Friday night, cripes. But I, and it, but I think it would be harsh 
uh, of King Ken uh, for, on King Ken to put him in the in in that category. But certainly he'll be looking to improve. I can only hope it's not my uh, midweek prank that uh, that's still playing on his mind. Oh well, you might have ruined <laughs> him mentally, Mike, and that's it. That's the whole season gone. Um, substitutes always hard to to really put any high. Um, unless they come on and they score the winning goal. Um, but Gosling, Jace, just is doing more of what we have seen him do. And I am I'm growing more confident in if you know the midfield three, either to get injured or to get an extra yellow card. You know, he's, he's there, he's ready to go. Yeah, he's the man to come on again, I think, isn't he? If, uh, if we do need to disrupt that three. There was a moment, I think, when he first came on, he's... Um... His touch was looking a bit wobbly. Uh, I'm not sure if that's because someone pinged the ball into him too fast. Um, I, I don't want to say he wasn't expecting the ball because as a footballer, you should always be expecting the ball. Yeah, he didn't didn't quite manage to control it, sort of pinged off him, caught him a bit by surprise. But other than that, again, it was a, a solid performance, making the tackles when he needs to make the tackles, just working hard as part of that midfield three. Nothing, nothing silly, nothing too extravagant. Just recycling the ball, almost sort of a, a like for like when he came on for for Chalaba, just doing what Chalaba was doing to uh, to the same effect. Zinchenko, Michael, again, you know, not so again, didn't do anything spectacular, but just growing a little bit, a little bit, or every game, every appearance he's making, he's growing that little bit more. Yeah, I felt sorry for him because he came on at exactly the wrong wrong moment, didn't he? Him and the, the double substitution happened and Derby really came into the game, didn't he? It was hearts and mouths really for the last 15 minutes or so and, and the game sort of ratcheted up in not just intention but in speed and intensity on the pitch. So I think it's always difficult for a, a substitute to, to hit, those, that, hit the ground running at that sort of speed with the game at that point. So I felt sorry for him again. I think, you know, he showed what we know that he has, which is a lovely touch, uh, a willingness to drive forward. He was another one who had a, a shot on goal late on, I think just about the edge of the box. I thought, oh, this is perfect. He's just dropped for him and he just you could just hear it, the connection with, with the boot. He just thinned it. If you, if you play golf, you know what I mean. He just didn't catch it right and it didn't really threaten the, the keeper. But he showed what he's capable of. Um, found it difficult, I think, because anyone would find it difficult coming on in the game in that situation. It changed virtually straight away when he came on um, but I think you can see what he can bring to the side there was no space for him down this left hand side at all um, it was frantic he was having to do a lot of defending get back get forward so tough for him but he did what he had to and I think we've seen we, we, more glimpses of um, of what's available there and I think you know if, if Ken Semmer is having a rough trot then perhaps you know starting Zinconagel out on the left it's not his preferred um, it's not his preferred position of course but I think he could definitely do a job there just I'd like to see him out there with a bit more space when things aren't quite so frenetic uh, and I think it might might suit him. And of course, the final one Jason um, the young Mr Wilmot uh, did come on uh, again uh, very, very, Fourteen minutes to go, I suppose it was. Um, came into that midfield role, um, and yeah, fine. Yeah, it, it's okay. Obviously, as you say, unfortunate timing in that they scored seconds after he's come on, and he replaced the excellent Will Hughes, and he's not Will Hughes. Obviously, the passing is not the same, and I think there were a few that that went astray. Having said that, I think at the end he did ping a lovely ball out to Ishmael Asar to relieve the pressure um, down the right-hand side where it ended up with, I think, Kiko and and Saar pinging the ball between themselves and sort of wasting a couple of minutes. Give him credit for that one. It's tough when, you, when you're coming on with, what, 10, 15 minutes to spare and you're 
all of a sudden up against it, you're protecting a one goal lead at home. Everyone, the opposition are throwing the kitchen sink at you. You, it's tough. You've just got to you've got to dig in and you've got to defend. And he was part of that defence. There wasn't much else he could he could really do. It was just the uh, the opportunities to get out and try and relieve a bit of pressure. He perhaps didn't do as much as as you would have liked, but that one at the end probably keeps him in the uh, Friday night all right section. Yeah. So it, it was a it was more than an all right game. You've got to say that because uh, it was a win, of course, the, the third one in six days. Uh, but the Hornets go on uh, to two away matches at Blackburn and Bournemouth. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Part of The Athletic Podcast Network. This is from the Rookery End. Remember, if you haven't yet, you can subscribe to The Athletic. Uh, it costs you, well, it's quite a good deal at the moment, but if you do subscribe, not only do you get the analysis and coverage that The Athletic get to offer, uh, but you also get to hear these podcasts absolutely ad-free, not a one, if you listen via the app and The Athletic website. Uh, currently, the offer at the moment is £29.99. That's a uh, half price at the moment, which works out less than a pound a week, but actually about eight pence a day. Uh, so you want to go to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end. That's theathletic.com forward slash rookery end. Subscribers, uh, you will be able to take part on the 8th of March. The, uh, the quiz... Uh, that Adam is going to be hosting to find who is the cleverest and most knowledgeable of all the athletic subscribers and the Watford quiz which Adam is hosting is on the 8th of March but you have to be a subscriber to take part raising money for prostate cancer as well of course a, uh, a charity close to our heart so if you can get involved in that please do now family is very important to Watford. We are the original family club. Uh, what, what family members do you remember playing for Watford, Jason? Like the Holdsworth twins, of course. Oh, of course, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, we've got those guys. Um, who else? Who else we got? We have got. Did Kenny Jackett's dad play for Watford or not? Did I have I just made that up? 
It, you, you, exactly. This is one of those things. Uh, and there's been some fantastic news uh, recently of a, of a, a, a new signing for Watford uh, in the youth system uh, that has a very long family legacy of being part of the Watford family. Another men, member of the Skinny Williams family has signed co- a contract to be part of the Watford Academy. And I caught up with Ollie Wicken uh, to find out more about this family tradition that started with Skilly Williams, and plus other ones, including the Holsworths. And I started by asking Ollie, who was Skilly Williams? Skilly Williams is a legendary goalkeeper from Watford's uh, distant past. So he was playing 100 years ago. He made his debut for Watford in 1913, uh, just before the First World War. And uh, he ended with Watford in 1926. So his career lasted 13 years uh, because he did play during the war as well, as well as going off to fight. And he made uh, lots of appearances. He's famous for his flat cap that he would wear. He was the start of what has turned out to be a little bit of a dynasty in Watford's history. Yeah, because you look back at that, didn't you, in in an article for the Watford Treasury. It's been a a long dynasty, um, but they've still got a a big connection back to to old Skilly. They have indeed. So his son, called Reg, Skilly was also called Reg, but we know him as Skilly. His son, Reg, played for Watford during the war. Reg was born on the 28th of January. 1922, and I'll come back to that date in a moment. On the 28th of January, he was born while Skilly was playing at Spurs in an FA Cup match. And Reg played for Watford during the war between 1940 and 1945. Went off to play for Chelsea. Many Reg uh, had uh, three children who didn't play for Watford, but uh, at the next level down, which is Reg's grandsons and Skilly's great grandsons. Two players played for Watford. There was Daniel Greaves and Grant Corner. So now we're talking about players that uh, some of your listeners will have heard of already and may have seen play. So Grant Cornock was playing the reserves and the juniors late 1990s and Daniel Greaves made a first team appearance for Watford in the full members' cup at Fulham in 1998, I think it was. And things have moved on a pace since then as well because we're now going down a to Jack Greaves, and Jack Greaves is the great-great-grandson of Skiddy And last week, on the 28th of January, which was his granddad Reggie's 99th birthday, or would have, Jack Greaves was offered an apprenticeship by Watford. We've now got four generations of connections. Amazing. I mean, there's there's families and stuff that are very famous in football. You know, that, that sort of personal level that we have uh, at Watford. You know, I remember looking at the first ever Watford team I ever saw play in 1986-1987 and seeing two of the players who looked very similar. And then you look and you go, oh, they are the same surname. It was Dean and David Holdsworth. But you did an episode recently um, for Hornet Heaven, which you wrote. And, of course, Colin Mace was the, the narrator and, uh, well, every single voice that's in that episode uh, about the Joy Brothers. And that episode really, I love that episode. And there's the thing about Hornet Heaven I love is where you learn something historic, but actually you start really thinking about your connection with the football club. Uh, and they were three people who did actually play for Watford, but then didn't necessarily stick around for, for that long. That's right. So they, uh, there were three brothers, Norman, Basil and Bertie, and they all made one appearance 
for Watford. They were brothers, and really the reason behind that is that in those days, this was when Watford were called West Hearts, um, in those days West Hearts was a sports club, like it is now, a social club, if you like. So there was a sort of social scene going, and a lot of the players had been to Ordenham School, as, as these guys had. It was, it was mates together and brothers together, and West Hearts were just feeling their way into the Southern League, certainly when Norman played, and he made his debut, sorry, he made his own his debut and only game uh, he played, which was West Hearts' second appearance in the Southern League, second game in the Southern League. There was just this time when lots and lots of people were rotating through the team because they were trying to find out who was any good and uh, who could play at this slightly higher level. Well, what year, what year was it we talking there? 1896 wow. for Norman. So, uh, But this was after the three great brothers, Alec, Alf and Freddie Sargent, uh, who had been playing in the 80, 1880s and 1890s. And they, uh, Freddie Sargent was a terrific player. Best in the county, as the Watford Observer would have said. <laughs> they all played in the same team. Uh, so if okay. you're talking brothers there, they would be uh, all in the same team. And there actually was one game, uh, a friendly, where there was another sergeant in the team playing goal. We don't know what his Christian name was, and we don't know what relation he was. I'm about to start a rumour that it might have been their dad. <laughs> yeah, stick dad in goal. Yeah, I like that. Exactly. We're a bit short. Dad, can you play? Yeah, stick him in goal. Yeah. Well, because we do know that the that this uh, extra sergeant uh, did referees and matches as well, so it just strikes me that it might have been an older man who went in goal and refereed matches. Oh, excellent. Well, that, that's that's quite a lot. I mean, there's, there's three brothers to the Joys, um, and even though they didn't sort of stay in the, the Watford family, there wasn't really a Watford family at that point at all, um, but they, they sort of had that, that connection with the club, which which ended them being up in, in Hornet Heaven. And I'm trying to think of other families that we've had at Watford, and say, I know the Holsworths. Are there any other famous well, not famous brothers, but well-known brothers or, or fathers and sons that have, have played for Watford and been part of the Watford family? Very much so. So even in the, um, the same team that we were talking about there for Skiddy playing at uh, Tottenham Hotspurs, we had uh, Charlie White was a member of the team and he had a brother called Tom White who played several times in the same team for Watford in 1909. They were the last brothers to play in a forward line together so i'm going to do some slightly uh, obscure statistics for you here okay, they were the okay. last they were the last brothers to line up together in a forward line watford then in the 1950s there were a pair called colin and ernie bateman um, and they were the last brothers to play in the same starting together the holdsworths oh. played uh in the same team together and were on the pitch at the same time together but never started together that's you know what that that's one of the that really surprises me. I know Dean didn't stay around Watford as, as long as David, but I just Im- imagine them being on the pitch more. Maybe I don't know. Maybe that again that photograph I saw of the first team uh, Watford's you know, team picture I ever saw as a, as a child. But I just Im- I just imagine them playing together just so much more. But they they so did they ever start a game together? No, they no. never did because Dean largely was a substitute. Um, but they were on they were on the pitch together a lot. So that was the statistic that they never started together. And then there's uh, Tommy Smith and Jackson. Yes, of course. They took part in the same match, but they weren't on the field at the same time as each other. So against Brighton in April 2003, just before Tommy left, 
And just as Jack was starting, Tommy was substituted off. And then a few minutes later, Jack was substituted on. Then we also had uh, Ashley Young and his younger brother, Lewis Young. Yes, of course, but yeah. Lewis's appearance was after Ashley had, yeah, had gone. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So they never played together. They also had a, uh, the, another brother, Kyle, who was part of the academy. Uh, but I don't think he professional. If we go back to Kenny Jackett in the 1980s, oh. his, his dad played for Watford between 1949 and 1953. And uh, Kenny had an older brother called Alan, or still does, Alan Jackett. But he wasn't at Watford. He was at another local club uh, whose name shall never be spoken. OK, we should move on very quickly. There was even in the 1950s, Watford had a manager called Eddie Hapgood. Um, and then he was uh, sacked in 1950. And three years later, his son turned up at Watford. These are things that you sort of beautifully touch on, on in Hornet Heaven. And so you're on series 14. We, we played a clip a few weeks ago from the first episode, but it's, it's, it's four episodes in this, in this series. Episode two was The Joys of Watford. Episode three really made me laugh. Of all the, the, the characters that Colin has played uh, on Hornet Heaven, the historic characters of Henry Grover the, or Bill Mainwood, but this one, he, he played a dog called, called Wooter. Uh, and I, I do like the idea. That what's, what's the rule then? So if, if I ever get a dog and I want him to come to Hornet Heaven with me, I have to name him after a footballer. Is that, is that right? That's exactly how okay. it works, yes. My next dog will be called Nyron then. Okay, perfect. Uh, and the, the most recent one, tell us about that one then. Listeners will be familiar with the 13-year-old programme assistant called Derek Arston, who uh, was born in 1908 and died in 1921. He's, he's one of the fictitious characters. But when I was writing one of the early episodes, I decided he'd died in 1921. So that means his centenary. In Hall Heaven, 100 years as a 13-year uh, is this year. The story is about some celebrations that are planned to celebrate his centenary. Ollie is part of the Watford Treasury team. You can go to the watfordtreasury.co.uk to find out more about the historical document, document magazine that they put out, uh, as well as the, the other fantastic fanzine, YBR, Yellow, Black or Red, uh, which is out on a monthly basis at the moment. Ollie was talking about the 100th anniversary of the Hornet Heaven Young Programme Assistant Derek Garston. He's been a 13-year-old boy for his entire Watford afterlife, almost 100 years now. And the upcoming centenary has made him a bit touchy about the fact that, that he'll never grow up for the rest of eternity. In the scene set in December 2020, Henry Grover, the founder of the club, goes to see Derek in the programme office. Henry breezes in, totally oblivious to what's bothering Derek. Ah, there you are, Derek. I know Bill said I shouldn't be asking you at the moment, but I need some of your famous facts. You are, after all, the fount of all Watford Football Club knowledge in Hornet Heaven. Crikey! Thank you for such kind words, Mr Crowther, sir. Not at all, Derek. In fact, over the 70 years that I've been up here, I've come to regard you as a sort of son. That's lovely, Mr Crowther, sir. I'm flattered, sir. Of course, I say a son... But I suppose I mean a grandson, or even a great-grandson, because you're so young, and quite a weird great-grandson at that, come to think of it, <laughs> because you never grow up. Great. 
We're back on this, aren't we, Mr Grover, sir? Anyway, the reason I'm here is that I'm interested in whether our head coach, Vladimir Ivich, is marshalling the correct blend of youth and experience in his promotion-seeking side. Please, could you tell me how many of the players that played against Cardiff yesterday were, say, 21 or under? The answer's five, Mr Grover, sir. James Garner, Joe Pedro, Jeremy Ngakia, Ben Wilmot and Domingos Quina. In order of the recency of their birth, Mr Grover, sir. But do we have to talk about age, sir? Hmm. I wonder if that's too many youngsters for a successful team. You see, I'm worried that... In fact, I'd value your opinion on something, young fellow me lad. Uh, would you mind accompanying me to an old game from the 1980s? I've only got a programme for myself at the moment, but I'm sure you could duck under the turnstile. Mr Grover, sir, these continual reminders that I'm a child are... I could probably find you a sherbet dib-dab, young man, or something like that, if you're a good boy. I'll get myself a programme, Mr Grover, sir. A Watford FC podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is from the rookery end. So we've got uh, how many days? What day is it? Friday? One, two, three. Anyway, in a few days' time, Watford will be playing away at Blackburn. Um, Mike, the one thing we didn't see tonight, which I sort of was, was hoping for, was we, we we seem to be getting a little dependent on this four-three-three and these eleven or these ten, eleven starting players that have been consistent, and that, I think that's very, very important. And I like the fact that he's not rotating players at the start of a game. I, I do prefer a manager that starts a consistent team but makes those substitutions when players start losing their legs just to have that sort of consistency we didn't see many substitutes today and we have got more games coming up and you know that Parita I wanted not necessarily him to to start the game but I wanted him to to get some more minutes in there John I know exactly what you mean it feels like he sort of had a bit of a stop start beginning to his Watford career doesn't it and it feels like he almost deserves um to 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 have some minutes but but my take on it is is really very simple at this stage of the season with feeling like Watford are are rounding a bend turning a corner a little bit if it ain't broke don't fix it. And, and, but I and, don't mean that. Yeah, I absolutely get that. But with the number of substitutes that we can make. Yeah, still, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. These, the players that we're talking about, and, and they'll give you an example why. We've talked about our, you know, done our Venn diagram tonight. How many of them were in the Friday night cripes circle? Yeah, yeah. Ken Semmer's right foot, and that's it, and at, at a push. So, you know, this is a team who has won three games in a very, very difficult competitive division um, in six days, um, scored nine goals in the process and conceded one. So what this team absolutely has to do is build on performances, but most importantly of all, and I think this is going to be the key to the rest of this season, is confidence because we were bereft of confidence before Bristol City. You know, the, the Coventry game was a real low point. It was an away point, so it, it, it shouldn't have been, but it felt like we were on the floor and there was no confidence, there was no joie de vivre, they weren't enjoying their football, and that seems to have changed. Now, I still think that's fragile. I still, I still think there's little cases of, you know, they, it's easy to lapse back into, um, you know, I think, are we going to have um, pre and post Bristol City? Is that how we're going to see the season? But that's, that's still easy for a group of players to, to go back to into that sort of comfort zone of feeling a bit sorry for yourself or it not falling for you or not going, going well. And this group need to move together as a group. And I really want to see them 
getting as many minutes together as possible because what they're doing as i said it earlier is asking questions of the opposition and if they can do that we've got players who can ask questions that opposition won't be able to answer jason's talked about it pace and skill ismail Assar and kiko down the right ken when he's on on form on the left zinkanagel to come in if he's not jao pedro beavering away um at, at, at the, in the middle there will hughes tom cleverly chalabar Different types of player, all very difficult to play against and all integral. This is a great, great side. The frustrating thing is it's, it's taken a little while for us to see it. Now we've got it and now they're motoring a little bit. Let's stick with them, I think. And yes, they have to rotate to, to a degree. But, I, but you know, Ismail Assar has played virtually every game. 90 minutes almost of every single game. So let's, I think we, we stick with it and we, we stay on the front foot. Um, you know, he's, he's made he made substitutions late on, so people are having a rest. The the sort of timetable is weird, but it does build in extra days for rest. You know, we can have the Watford boys can have their feet up in front of um, soccer Saturday, whatever it's called these days, tomorrow, while watching the others scrap it out. So we've got a little bit of extra rest. Um, so it's about how they manage that. They need to train um, cleverly. <laughs> um, they all need to train, not just you, Thomas. Um, but so they need to be. I get what you're you saying, know. Mike. I absolutely get what you're saying, but I think there's an, an element of of knowing that injuries do happen, and players need to be ready, and that that's part of it. And the whole thing of the, you know, the, maybe the, the the one reason why there have been no changes the last three games is they've had no time to work on anything new. It was. No game need, after John. game after game after game. Yeah, I know no what you're need. saying, but it's, 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 it's nagging at the back of my mind. Why am I the one worrying? That's your job. You know, <laughs> and I suppose I didn't want necessarily want to see him. Basically, if, if, if Pedro is the one in the middle, who can replace him? Andre Gray or Steve Perizza at the moment. So there is a, there's a limit and you just want a few more minutes in them for for not to say not to to unbalance things, which we did talk about the fact that when you you make some substitutes and you unbalance things, and all of a sudden the other team score, it just it is it's a nagging thing in the back of my mind. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm wrong, but it, it's just I know I know what you're saying, but I know the little voice in the back of my mind. I know what he what he what he's saying. Um, Jason, would you put more emphasis on the uh, Blackburn game or more emphasis on the Bournemouth game if you were uh, uh, Cisco? Oh, blimey! Take it one game at a time, Brian. <laughs> um, I, I, and I, I think I would I, I don't like this we need to take one more seriously than the other they are both three points okay yeah if we lose the Bournemouth one it means they've got they pick up three points there and they're in a promotion race but ahead of the game I want three points from Blackburn and then whatever happens in the Blackburn game I want three points from the Bournemouth game so I, I wouldn't be presumptuous enough to be looking forward to the Bournemouth game when the Blackburn game hasn't been played yet. So I would treat the Blackburn game seriously, look at the state of the players before the game. If they're if the starting eleven from tonight is fit enough, okay, do what you want to do with the centre backs. Um perhaps bring Sierra to back in. But if they're fit to play, then you start with the same eleven. Here, here. Okay. I bet you better be right about this, lads. Thank you very much for listening uh, to From the Rook End. Thank you very much to Ollie uh, for his input. Uh, and, uh, well, thank you, Michael, for, for sticking around at Vicarage Road uh, and uh, with your contributions. You're always a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, and thank you very much, Jason. Uh, thank you. You can follow us on, on, on Twitter. Uh, that's our big one. Uh, on Instagram and uh, on Facebook. Uh, just look for at Watford Podcast. Uh, and we'll be back, of course, after that Blackburn game in midweek. Come on, you horn! 
The Athletic.